0: this week on Missions Today.
1: By the time 9-11 happened, I, I think I hadn't been, barely been to church in, in, in well over 10 years and was even rethinking maybe my basic foundation of my faith. Maybe I had a, more of a proclivity to another faith or was wondering if I needed faith at all. I was kind of my own sovereign. I was say the captain of my own soul. and and I was steering my own ship. What did I need a a savior for?
0: That is where Christina was in her life just before the tragedy of 9-11. Thankfully, that's not where she stayed. Hi, I'm Colin Lambert, and welcome to this week's edition of Missions Today. You know, anyone over the age of about 24 can remember something about 9-11. And for many of us, it was a pivotal moment in history. For our guest today, it was an event that would truly change her future and her mission. Christina Stanton is an author who's lived in New York City now for over 25 years and just 20 years ago experienced 9-11. She was just living six blocks away from the World Trade Center. Today, Christina joins us to share more about her story tied to 9-11 and more recently the impact of COVID on her life as well. Christina, it's so great to have you on the program today. Let's start. Tell us a little bit about your growing up years and your early exposure to issues of faith.
1: So I'm from Tallahassee, Florida, born and raised. I was very active in church due to my parents. I was there pretty much every time the doors were open. There's a lot to do for kids. They had a huge youth program. And I gave my life to Christ at 11 and was baptized at age 11. Church was very important growing up, but a few other things made a huge difference as well. My family actually sent me to France for a summer when I was 15. And I felt like that that opened my eyes to just how different cultures are and the world is. And it was a really great experience for me. And it was one that I really internalized. And I felt that it kind of really began my interest in other cultures. I'm not sure if that would have developed much later if it weren't for that experience when I was 15. I went with my high school chorus to New York City when I was age 17. And that just left me with, wow, just there's there's a big world out there. And I want to explore it. Uh, you know, in church, uh, when I was growing up in the 80s, something that was very popular for girls to do in the Baptist church, at least, was something called Act Team, kind of like a Girl Scout. But it was about missionaries and mission work. And I in particular loved that ministry. And again, looking back, it just created um, a huge impression on me. So really, I think with when I look back on my growing up years, a lot of it was filled with church activities. And uh, the most impressionable times that grew me as a person was when we traveled. Uh,
0: Related to your latter teen years, early 20s, as you were beginning to think about uh, a career, what you were going to do with your life, you've talked a lot about engagement with ministry and with church. Were there any thoughts about that as a young adult or did you have different career thoughts in mind?
1: Uh, If you're at all into a personality test, I've, I've always found them interesting. I'm a very typical Enneagram seven, which means we like adventures. We're interested in the world. And I was definitely always interested in quite a few things. In fact, in college, I had a hard time deciding what my major was going to be because I had so many interests. I did get a degree in music, and I moved to New York City when I was 23. And again, I mean, I wanted to try my luck on the Broadway stage. But really, more importantly, I just wanted a grand adventure. I wanted to be in an atmosphere where a lot of things could happen, where I could potentially satisfy all my different interests in one place. Maybe have one vocation over here, but hobbies over on the side so yeah i just wanted to be an epicenter where i could possibly live out a lot of my hobbies and interests all at the same time
0: i've been to new york it's an exciting place there's lots going on and i can imagine for a 23 year old the impact of that what if anything do you feel like was the impact on your faith during those years that you were kind of in that adventure mode
1: it was a slow and steady decline essentially. When I went to college, when I moved to New York City, my faith really just went from Jesus taking the wheel towards Jesus went to the passenger seat, to Jesus went to the back seat, and then on down the line. I just really kind of adopted the attitude that it's all about me. I'm in control. I make it happen. Jesus is a well-qualified counselor if I should get into trouble or if I'm upset about something, almost like a genie in a bottle. You know, Lord, I want this. Let me do get on this audition. Let me find a place to live. My faith just really became compartmentalized at best. And at worst, I I have actually considered if, if I even um turn my back on my faith for, for quite a while. So by the time 9-11 happened, I, I think I hadn't been barely been to church in, in in well over 10 years and was even rethinking maybe my basic foundation of my faith. Maybe I had a more of a proclivity to another faith, or was wondering if I needed faith at all. I was kind of my own sovereign. I was the the captain of my own soul and and I was steering my own ship. What did I need a a savior for?
0: We just recently went through the commemoration of 20 years since 9-11, and you just mentioned the impact of that. I know that you were personally impacted by 9-11. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: So that morning, I was asleep. My husband was awake. The impact of the plane hitting the North Tower actually shook our building, which was situated six blocks away from the World Trade Center site. He came and shook me awake. We went on to our, Terrace, which was on the 24th floor of our apartment building, and it looked directly at those towers. I remember watching the North Tower burning, not understanding what was happening, still wondering if I was just really asleep and just having a big nightmare. When right over my right hand shoulder, the second plane came and went right over our heads, swooped right in front of us, turned and went into that South Tower, which actually blew us back into our apartment and knocked me out on the floor. I woke up, we evacuated. I found myself outside with no shoes and in my nightgown. And we continued to evacuate to Battery Park, which was a nearby park in the very southern tip of Manhattan, which is where we were when the Twin Towers came down, covering us with dust and debris, surrounding us with smoke that threatened to asphyxiate us. And we said goodbye to each other thinking that this was the end of our lives. We ended up being rescued by a boat evacuation, the largest boat evacuation in history. We didn't get back into our apartment for two weeks. In every single way, shook us to our core. We suffered from PTSD symptoms immediately. We were unemployed because of the attacks. I lost my confidence to be on the stage or or to be an actress. Our dog uh, hovered between life and death because he had ingested that dust which had ground up glass in it, shredding his insides. My husband found out one of his good friends died in the North Tower. And it just, we reached our own ground zero and really wondered if, if we were gonna survive it. Uh, we was, we wondered if we were gonna survive it that day and in the weeks after.
0: Talk a bit about those those weeks and months following and the progression of your faith during that time, the kinds of things you were thinking about and processing in your mind and how it impacted your faith.
1: Well, when my husband and I were in Battery Park, again, worried we were going to be asphyxiated, along with the thousands of other people that were there. I remember my husband grabbing my hands and and saying the Lord's Prayer. He grew up Catholic and that was his default. He had his eyes closed and he had bowed his head, but I remember looking at him and looking around me thinking, I can't believe life has come to this. I had all of the motivation and drive to make things happen and be in control and to, uh, the sky was the limit for us. I really felt like when we got married and here I was not in control, having no resources that would help comfort me in that moment, except for my husband. I was very happy that he was with me. But I remember also thinking, I haven't been a believer since I was a kid and probably that's the only thing that means a hell of beans at this point, especially at the end of our lives and that's the one thing I don't have and it was a very lonely and sad feeling, also not knowing where I was going when we died where would we be together? Why would I go to heaven now i I pretty much turned my back on God a long time ago and after that prayer in Battery Park, I thought a lot about God in the weeks after, um, the, the purpose of our lives, kind of very fundamental questions that I'd never asked, didn't care, didn't have any reason to ask those questions, but I was asking them. And I actually went to a church that was offering financial support. and We, we did need it in, in the aftermath. And they were generous with us. It was very impressive to me of how we were handled and uh, with such such love and care and generosity, we started going to church there. We got very involved in the Christian community. We had all kinds of people who were loving on us and pointing to Christ at the same time. We began volunteering with outreach programs and ministries and uh, attending Bible studies. And our faith began to to grow individually and as a couple. But it really was getting into that position where we had everything stripped away from us that we started asking big picture questions about why we were even here on this earth, which led us to Christ, which essentially Christ brought us to him in the aftermath. He put all kinds of people and help and heroes and helpers in place that pointed to him. And, um, you know, he, literally I can look back and see every person that he put along our path,
0: which led to him. You know, this program is called Missions Today, and we talk about missionaries, mission organizations, personal mission, anything tied to mission is really where we are. As you went through that process and you began to grow closer to Christ individually and as a couple, and you've been through this horrendous event that has literally shaken you to the core— you now are on a slightly different path and you're heading in a new direction together. Did you begin to talk about changes in the way you were going to live, what you were going to do? Did it impact what your plans were moving forward?
1: So absolutely, because pre nine eleven, they were all about climbing the corporate ladder, climbing a ladder of success and, the, and and very much in a worldly sense. Tell you the truth, I cared about a lot about material goods. I wanted to be just that Manhattan woman who was styling and uh, going to shows and restaurants and just enjoying the fruits of life of of this earth and certainly the specific things that, that are enjoyable in Manhattan. And afterwards, really all of that changed. I really was not interested in living just for myself and benefiting myself and basically our scope of who we cared about got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and having suffered like we had, again, we were out of our apartment for a couple of weeks. I found being homeless very dehumanizing and discombobulating, and that left a huge impression on me. And there were that was a social justice issue that I'd never thought much about at all. But I remember thinking we had two weeks of, of a taste of homelessness, just two weeks. And there are so many people who really struggle with that. And it horrified me. I just felt like my eyes were open to so many injustices in the world and suffering in the world. And it knowing how the church had helped alleviate our suffering, I wanted to be a part of that solution for other people who were suffering in this world. And that directly came out of 9-11 of the church's position and our recovery in the aftermath. And it really awakened me to the reality that so many, the majority really suffers on this planet. And I wanted to be part of the solution uh, and pay it forward as those, uh, the, the diaconate at our church did for us.
0: I want to move to your years at the Redeemer Presbyterian Church. People might recognize that name of that church because it was founded by Dr. Timothy Keller. You were there for a, a number of years tied to their missions program. Talk about how you got into that.
1: Yeah, so my husband actually got a, a job there right after 9-11, and he is, his job is, the, and still is, 19 years later, the chief of financial officer. And I kind of followed on his coattails, got to know all of the employees at the office, and it became such a huge part of our lives that I remember approaching somebody and saying, why don't you all have a short-term missions program? Redeemer is well known for their church planting training program. And their minds, that was fulfilling the Great Commission. And they do a wonderful job with it. They're well-known all over the world for helping to plant churches, especially in urban cities um, like New York City. And I, I remember thinking, well, that's wonderful, but that's not something that the average congregant can do. They're not all trying to plant churches. And so I said, well, let me let me come up with a, a short-term missions program that goes to visit the churches where you trained the pastors and they've started their own churches. So we can learn ourselves more about the process of church planning, seeing... Uh, if there's anything that the church needs from us that we can offer as a team, and really just go and learn from other cultures, learn about how pastors, how they plan outreaches for their communities, and go see how God is at work in the world. And so I started that in 2009, and the program grew quickly. So essentially, I started the short-term missions program at Redeemer. There had been a few trips before then, but uh, I started with a whole new vision. Uh, again, to connect of our church plants to our church and to the people who go to our church. So we grew from, I think, two trips for that first year up to 17 uh, by year three. We've sent hundreds and hundreds of Redeemerites on those trips all over the world, literally all over the world. I became fascinated with the uh, the study of, of of mission trips and missions. And to this day, I'm fascinated by missions and specifically short-term mission trips. And I have to say, that of anything I've ever done in my life, what has grown me the most, what has made the biggest impression, what's been the joy of my life, is missions. Missions will define me until until I die. But even now, I've had some some time to to look back on on my career in missions, and I I can't tell you that it it was literally pivotal in my growth in Christ and my growth and understanding of how. Uh, how different cultures respond to the gospel.
0: What would you say are two or three key things that you learned during your time uh, overseeing that and growing it and even kind of restructuring it?
1: Some things I learned pretty much right off the bat is really the the success of a trip is really about the relationship with our hosts and our partners. It's really all about that because what we're doing is we are stepping into people's shoes in their world, and their community, uh, with their trials and tribulations, with their joys and successes. We're, we're in every single way walking a mile in their shoes and the ability to put on those shoes to the best that we can and to, to really see what the work that that church is doing, we need to have a good relationship with them. That really is key. And we all have uh, resources and gifts to offer everyone around the world, including our own church and our own communities. And so the process of you know, offering everything that God has given each one of us Was also just a gift to see of how much God has gifted each individual. And it was funny, I'd oftentimes hear, Well, I don't do anything special. And I'm like, Oh boy. Uh, Each individual has so much in them that God has given them that's so unique to them. And it was wonderful to see it literally flow out of their hearts and them connecting with all the gifts that they were given by God that maybe they had. Had never even thought of before as a resource, as a gift, as something they can use to further the gospel. But I, I would say that firstly, is this strength of the relationship. With your, with your host and your partners, it's all about that. And then continuing that relationship, not just going once every year, going to the same place to strengthen that relationship because the more meat of that relationship that you can delve into is, is the more change that can be enacted, is the, the, the closer the relationship, the more that you can really address the needs of that church plant and then they can speak into your own. And then of course, with the teammates, trying to have them understand how each one of their gifts really can be used and should be used for the glory of God. So there was a lot of things that I learned. I have to say there is nothing more wonderful than having a truly connective, wonderful, deep, productive relationships between you, your team, your, your home church, and your host church. There's, there's nothing more powerful than, than Christians bonding together to, to, to do the work of Christ.
0: That's that's incredible. Such a powerful statement and such good learnings from your experiences that I think we can all take in. And I think it is even repeated by many mission organizations today, those things being so key to successful missions. In the final moments we have left, you've mentioned the pandemic a couple of times. You were hit with the pandemic in New York, hit hard, and you personally were hit with it talk for a moment about that experience
1: we all knew if we had survived 9-11 that our immune systems were compromised because we inhaled that poisonous dust and unfortunately covid has has been the final straw on people's compromised immune systems who were there during 9-11 so when i got a very bad case of covid in march 2020 I was very aware that it was probably connected to 9-11 and, and how 9-11 has hurt our health of those who lived through it. I was hospitalized twice and told I had a 50% chance of dying from COVID. I remember being quarantined in my room, and I remember being all alone in that room. Uh, you know, we're fast forwarding 19 years and realizing I was facing another near-death experience that might likely lead to death. And it was a whole different situation than the near-death experience I, stu- I, I suffered under 9/11. I, this time I had Christ with me. This time I was a believer. This time I was able to say, "Holy Spirit, you take over. I can't. I can't breathe. I can't. Um, I, 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 I feel the virus is trying to actively kill me. Um, and if this is the end of the road, then then I accept that and I accept that with peace. And um, but if not, I'm going to continue." To live my life for you, which I have been for the last 20 years, and I'll just continue to do that with even more zeal. And I did learn some special lessons, such as um, I, 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 I leaned on prayer in a way that I, I hadn't. For instance, since I couldn't speak, I couldn't look at social media. I had no I had no noise in my life to to distract me from 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 Christ and the Holy Spirit. I spent three hours on my computer asking everybody to pray. For us and I remember one day when the the uh, virus because my husband got it too when the virus was really trying to, to pull me down I got a FaceTime call from an orphanage that we go to visit the last 10 years in Johannesburg in the worst slum in all of South Africa and it was a teenage girl so at this point I know them all very well but there was a missionary there who put them on FaceTime and they sang to me and they prayed for me and I remember thinking I remember thinking what a blessed What a blessed life I have had. And if this is uh, the ending, I can't think of a better way to go with these wonderful girls. I've watched grow up the last 10 years and thrive. And I had the ability in my life to see them and know them and get to know them. And and that's only because of the work of Christ in my life. And it's only the work of Christ that can take you from Tallahassee to New York City to Johannesburg, South Africa, and, and be with with your brothers and sisters who who love Christ and which makes you instant brothers and sisters. And I'm li- listening to my sisters serenade me and pray for me, half a world away, and that came directly from 9/11. That came directly from how God led us to Him and took us down this road. And I wouldn't change a thing.
0: What a blessing! What a blessing! Final question for you: There are people listening today that I would say just describe this way: They haven't found their mission, and they hear you talking and hear through some of the examples of your life. They may not be a singer, they may not be a tour guide, they may not even be in a church at the moment, but they're looking for what God has for them. They are interested, they're searching, they're wanting the best life that God has prepared for them. Not necessarily easy, as you have shown, but, but the best life for them based on what God has for them. Maybe a a thought or two for somebody listening today that just is looking for that mission.
1: You know, when I was uh, in my early 20s, I remember there was a Bible study, and I can't recall the name of it now, that was very popular around the United States. And this Bible study pointed toward the concept of see where God is working and join in. And let's see where he takes you from there. Operative word is to go and do likewise. Just go. Go and expose yourself to where God is working. And who knows who he's going to put in your path? Who knows where he's going to take you from point A to point B? But staying at home and not putting yourself out there, you're limiting yourself. And so God can even certainly use you at home. He can use prayer warriors everywhere. But we're not to just be hearers of the word. We're to be doers as well. Now, what God wants for you to do that is uniquely you a blessing is to go and see where he's already at work. And when you go and you see the work that's going on, you can see where you fit into the, what I call like the cog and the wheel of, of God moving in the world. And and that's the whole thing. God is moving. It's, it's such a blessing to join in, in the work and everything is needed. All of your resources, everything that God made you to be, he's going to utilize that. The least part of you that you think that is not very important when you're serving, when you're helping uh, helping others and in communion with others that's where god will show you and your eye the scales from your eyes will be open that hey this this is the work that god's given me i see that god is bringing me in this direction don't don't shut yourself off to things like prison ministry or um, any kind of ministry going on with refugees what, whatever in your hometown and then he From there, you'll realize the burdens that he's given you. And here's the thing. Life is a missions trip. That's my mantra. Life is a missions trip. You don't have to go to Johannesburg You to stay where you are. But everything you do and every single day, that is a missions trip. You have a mission. God is at work in the world and he wants you to join in and just put yourself out there. The Holy Spirit will let you know what you're resonating with, the plans that He wants to reveal to you.
0: The Lord does have a plan for each of our lives, but we're not going to learn it by sitting around on the couch waiting for something to happen. You know, what an amazing story that Christina shared today and what powerful inspiration to get out there and find our mission. Christina shared a few things I think are worth repeating. Straight from God's Word, she said, Be doers of the Word, not merely hearers. We're never going to fulfill our purpose as a Christ follower by just sitting still. Secondly, she referenced a Bible study from a while back. It was Henry Blackaby's principle. Find out where God is at work and join in. God is at work every day around each and every one of us. But we must keep our eyes open. We must be ready to engage when God shows us what is there. Finally, Christina certainly has met some tragedy and challenge in her life, but it was was at those lowest moments, those lowest points, where God showed himself the strongest and most reliable to her. When you're at your lowest moments, look up. Your Heavenly Father is waiting to pick you up, dust you off, and direct you, guide you, push you forward. Don't miss that opportunity. Well, that's all the time we have for this week next week we're going to talk about a leader who is pushing for more innovation in missions i want to remind you about this special event too it is coming up november 5th and sixth. 24 hours it's the global church forum the Global Church coming together, humbling ourselves, making the name of Jesus great. People from all over the planet learning from each other, praying together, and seeking God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Learn more at globalchurchforum.city. That's globalchurchforum.city. Well, if you've enjoyed today's program, I'd love if you could subscribe, rate it, and leave a review on iTunes. If you have feedback for me, I'd love to hear from you as well. You can email me at c.lambert@missionstoday.com. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Missions Today Radio. Missions Today is a production of Resource Global. I'm Colin Lambert. Thanks for being with us.